0: The month of July comes to a close, but not without another edition of Kicking Out at Two this week. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, as we're going to be bringing you another installment of our Blind Date Diaries concept, as we are going to be discussing WWF In Your House 2 from July 23rd, 1995. We have just reached the 25-year anniversary of that show, and I'm going to be giving you my honest-to-goodness Blind Date Diary recap. Does this date that is known as in your house to deserve more of my time in the near future or it's just going to be a part of my black book of wrestling events that i viewed over the course of my fandom you're just going to have to find out uh thank you all once again for uh for, for for taking this journey with me as uh i'll be honest with you this was a tough one to sit through but um you know i'm looking forward to uh to to getting into it with all of you and i'm also looking forward to hearing all of your feedback. On social media, that's right, hit us up, facebook.com forward slash kickingout2, hit that like button, Um, tell a friend to hit the like button, if you thought In Your House 2 was a better show than how I depict it, or how I may depict it, um, then by all means, uh, let your voice be heard, Uh, we got links to archive shows and videos and discussions, gifs and memes, all kinds of great stuff over there on our Facebook page, as well as our Twitter, our handle is at kickingout2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T. And the number two, give us a follow over there. Um, but you know, make sure that if you're going to uh, air your grievances on Twitter, it's in between 140 to 220 characters or less. And uh, if, if if you like retro pro wrestling podcasts, like I do, if you like to listen to a fan experience on their days as a pro wrestling fan, growing up their youth, um, and and everything that entails um, being a pro wrestling fan, then you should head over to the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Network over on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. Um, we got some great shows over there like Kicking Out of Two, Hulkamania is Dead, uh, Marking Out the Day's weekend, weekend Warriors, excuse me, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, and so much other great bonus content over there. You can find uh, Retromania by searching with a W on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, and so many other great podcast platforms available. Um, All right, let's get into it this week. It is In Your House 2, July the 23rd, 1995, from Nashville, Tennessee, in the Municipal Auditorium, with 6,482 people in attendance. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I never watched this show from start to finish. The only match I've seen on this card is the Jeff Jarrett Shawn Michaels Intercontinental Title match. I saw it on 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 an old um, I want to say it was like an old Shawn Michaels retrospective VHS, maybe a DVD. I don't quite remember where I saw this at first, but I saw it nonetheless. And uh, I thought, you know, this would be another event that uh, I've never watched before that would be good that 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 you know qualifies for a blind date diary. So let Let's get into it, if you will, in public, if you will. Um, pay-per-view opened up with the signature WWF Open, the World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. And after that, we got a country music kind of video package mixed with clips of WWF superstars and the sights of the and sounds of the city of Nashville, where the event was taking place. Um... This was 1995, Uh, this was something you would definitely expect um, from the WWF. Solid open that kind of you know played with the whole country western theme being in Nashville, Tennessee. So I thought that was you know a, a nice touch. Uh, we open with Vince McMahon welcoming us to the pay per views. He's joined at ringside with Jerry the King Lawler, both of them dressed in you know country western gear, not Lawler in his traditional crown and, and, and robe as the king, and Vince not in his tuxedo, but you know, the the. The Western attire with like the leather vest and the, the little shoestring Western tie. I don't even know what those are called. Um, Lawler, I think, had like a, a fancy looking cowboy hat. He said it was a gift from Garth Brooks. And then they run down the rest of the card um, and what's to come on the pay per view. And then we have our first match on this show, which featured the 1 2 3 kid going up against the roadie. Um, and this rivalry, I guess, stemmed back from uh, right around WrestleMania when both guys were in Jeff Jarrett and Razor Ramon's corners respectively and the two had their issues there and I believe the kid was hurt with a neck injury and um, this is his first match back on pay-per-view as they noted on commentary Um, you know the bell rang pretty quickly and then one two three kid was on the attack he uh, jumped roadie on the outside of the floor to really kick things off um getting the best of him with all those martial arts kicks uh flying cross body to the outside and even into the corner at one point um staggering the roadie and then we cut to the locker room where we see double j jeff Jarrett in the locker room as he's getting ready for his big musical performance that's set to take place um and he's not really paying attention to what's going on the monitor between kid and the roadie which vince mentions on commentary Lawler tries to refute that um Making an excuse that Jarrett has a lot in his mind with his concert and plus his Intercontinental title defense coming up later in the evening against Shawn Michaels. Uh, so it looked like they were planting some seeds there for issues between the two later on. Nice little foreshadowing there. Uh, eventually, Rody would manage to gain the upper hand on the 1 2 3 kid, working on his neck um, for the majority of the time with a lot of rest holes, knees, swing neck breakers, um, elbows to the back of the neck, etc. You know, working on a body part. Putting in that, you know, in-ring psychology, telling a story. Thought that was some pretty good stuff. Um, we got more of uh, the commentators talking about Jeff Jarrett's attention not being on the roadies matches. We get a split screen of Jarrett speaking with his backup singers for his performance later in the evening. Uh, still really stirring the pot there when it comes to the issues between Jarrett and the roadie. Um Rody would end up going for a top rope splash on the one two three kid but missed and then that would result in the kid fighting back with a series of right hands and a spinning heel kick going for the cover but only getting a two um, he would follow up with a body slam and a splash off the top rope himself for another two count but then as the kid went for a high risk maneuver Rody countered it into a sit out power bomb for a near fall which got a pretty strong reaction the finish came and this was an interesting finish very anticlimactic but interesting nonetheless when the roadie delivered a piled driver off the second rope to the one two three kid for the win at seven minutes and 26 seconds um post-match saw the roadie walk into the stage and do a sound do a sound check in preparation for jeff Jarrett's concert later tonight um i thought it was a good opener crowd was really into it the female fans were really into the kid it was very reminiscent of those 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 texas crowds with the von eric boys um thought it was i thought it was a good opener for this pay-per-view i i enjoyed it um next we have todd pettengill who's in the locker room with psycho sid and the million dollar corporation uh they talk about what they plan to do to diesel and all the other lumberjacks involved in the main event um it was standard promo nothing spectacular but nothing terrible either wasn't setting the world on fire Um, as uh, Pettingill sends it over to the merchandise guy Barry Dodinsky, who at one point used to do all the pay-per-views and plug all the merchandise in between the matches uh, as he's got the uh, the In Your House shirts on sale and they got the number on the bottom of the screen and they're in Diesel's dressing room with his lumberjacks and Michael's wearing the shirt and he kind of gets a little quick plug in there Uh, I thought that was a nice touch as the overall theme of this pay-per-view is the, the enormity of this Lumberjack match between Diesel and Sid for the championship with all these other guys involved. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Next match up on the card, we got King, Mabel and Sir Moe um, taking on Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. This rivalry had stemmed from Mabel winning the King of the Ring tournament over Savio Vega, um, and injuring Savio in the process. Razor Ramon, I believe, on television was injured and couldn't take part in the tournament, so Savio had taken his place. Um, and this is, and then you know actions transpired at that event mabel wins him and sir mo are now a a a dominant force on programming but they still have their issues with razor and savio stemming from king of the ring and it leads us to this match um nashville crowd they 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 ramon and and savio got a strong reaction um and this is something that really just kind of you know got the wheels turning for me i've always felt that southern wrestling fans are particularly loyal to the babyface wrestlers. It's not like us in the Northeast where... You know, we we need more explanation, and you know we we kind of go against the grain a little bit when it comes to traditional viewing of wrestling. Um, You know, southern wrestling fans I feel like they allow themselves to get into the show the show more. They're not trying to pick apart what's wrong with it or call bullshit on something. You know, they cheer the good guys, they boo the bad guys, and I think that's missing in wrestling. But I think even to this day, you still kind of get that with southern wrestling fans, um, which is which was nice, and it was nice to see that during this situation here um even though mabel and king mabel and sir mo weren't um setting the world on fire um you know in, in terms of strong heel characters they were still getting a pretty decent reaction you know a negative reaction from the audience um which i thought was um which i thought was telling as i was watching this um Baby faces, Ramon and Sabio, they manage to start out hot on the heels until Mabel gets tagged in and eventually his size would become the difference maker in this match. Um, Men on a Mission would isolate Sabio in their corner, Mo doing pretty much the majority of the work, um, but tagging in Mabel every so often to kind of offer up some finishing touches. Uh, Savio would fight back And try to slam Mabel at one point Reminiscent of when Hogan tried to slam Andre at Wrestlemania 3 And he toppled him and Mabel Falls down on him, referee counts two. Um, Savio kicked out We got some more double team moves from men on a mission um, On to Savio Until eventually Mo would Um would go for a top rope moonsault and he missed and as both men are down each man try to make the tag and Sabio eventually tags in Razor where he works on Mo. Uh, he signals for the Razor's edge but he stopped by Mabel causing the distraction and setting Mabel to go to the top rope which was unorthodox for him at this time but Razor caught him and sent him um, off the top to a big pop from the crowd he went for the cover and got a two uh but the finish here would come when Savio would send Mo over the top rope to the outside um and then Mabel sends Razor into the corner catching him with a belly-to-belly suplex for the win at 10 minutes and nine seconds um this was not a bad match but it wasn't great either um ongoing theme here amongst a lot of these matches i feel like is that they're rushed that they don't have a whole lot of time now i know like the in your house pay-per-views were like the b-level pay-per-views and you kind of had to keep those pay-per-views under two hours um in this situation here this is a match where i felt like they were just really getting going and it was short and the finish came and then that was the end of it um kinda left me wanting a little more. I was a little invested in this, not gonna lie. Um, But yeah, overall I thought it was a solid match. And I think But at the same time It's a kind of match That like If it went on A little bit too longer People would People would cry boring So Maybe I guess it was The right amount of time Given the guys involved um, Up next We get Todd Pettengill In the back um, Or actually I'm sorry He's on stage With the band That's going to be Playing with Double J Previewing the big concert um, Getting some of the band members To warm up the crowd You know The drummer uh, The guitarist Some of the backup singers Etc um, Todd Pettengill Probably Isn't Necessarily on the The um, How do I put it He's not um, He's not on most fans favorite side of wrestling history People look at him as during a period of time Where he was like too corny too hokey um, But I mean he had the personality That like You know he, he he was a good hype man And I think WWF needed that at that time Because they were in a different They were in a, they were in a, a period of time As a company That uh they were they were trying to figure things out you know a new identity how they move forward and Pettengill was you know a good hype man for those shows even though he could be a little corny at times I felt like he did a good job of getting people um, into the into the product um, he was just he was very very lively and I think that that kind of fit with that new generation mold of you know the the this lively announcer you know Coming through your television screen, so I didn't have a problem with Top Hat and yield, But I know a lot of people that have had issues with him as a um, as a, uh, a a broadcaster, if you will. Um, we then cut back to handsome Doc Hendricks, who we all know is uh, Free Bird, Michael Hayes, dude, 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 who's with Adam Bomb, Man Mountain, Rock, the Smoking Guns, and Bam Bam Bigelow, and he suggests. That through the rumor mill That there's one of them in that locker room That have been bought out by the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase to be one of Sid's lumberjacks um, All the baby faces deny it um, But I thought it was a nice little Plot twist going into the main event Like who's going to be the one to Turn on Diesel and join up with the Million Dollar Corporation I thought it was a nice little plot twist It wouldn't eventually get Further examined as the show went on But it was a nice little touch here to really build the importance of the main event um we cut back to vince and jerry lawler who introduced the musical performance of double j jeff Cherrett singing with my baby tonight <laughs> spend my days working hard on the go with the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow i can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight you know, my baby got me wrapped around her little fingers and you know that I would walk to hell and back to be with her. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. You know what? Every wrestling podcast has done their own version of Jeff Jarrett's With My Baby Tonight thanks to Bruce Pritchard and Something to Wrestle With who started it all. So I thought at this point, why not? Okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um... You know, and and please, by all means, don't jump in my DMs and tell me how horrible of a singer I am, because I know that personally, okay? I wouldn't say I have a set of pipes on me, but um, I'm not frequenting the karaoke bar on a weekly basis. That was in my younger years. Um, but that's another podcast for another day. Definitely another podcast for another day. Um, this year... Um, Let me think. Well, you know, when I watched it and looked back, it sounded like the announcers were trying to pull off the fact that Jarrett was a really good singer. Now, I know as as this recap, this diary goes on, we'll discuss it even further, but um, you know, you could tell Jarrett was not the best lip-syncer. At times when the camera got close to him, they had to cut away and do a, a, a wide shot um, or, or do a close-up on the backup singers or the drummer or the guitarist or the keyboardist or whatever because Jarrett just was not... Um, the best lip-syncer and i don't know if that was by design if they were trying to state the obvious to kind of put more heat on jarrett but um that's what we got there and uh you know we saw that vince was impressed with his singing ability um Lawler was putting it over as well so clearly um they're setting the scene for for there to be something to come from this whole performance um and uh the crowd didn't really seem to care for it. Uh, as, as I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, the crowd went mild," and um, didn't really get a, a whole lot of reaction from it. Some negative. Some people clapped, but uh, you know, I, I don't think wrestling fans wanted to see um, a wrestler pretend to be a country music star in the capital of country music, Nashville, Tennessee, um, in the middle of a wrestling show. So. Um, We get a SummerSlam commercial for SummerSlam 1995 and we see Diesel pulling up in a Hummer to a roadside gas station to pick up the hot chick and then he says to her "Uh, hey, uh, you need a lift? Uh, Let's go to SummerSlam. Um, I thought that was a a cute little commercial uh, for the time period in 1995. I forgot about some of those commercials. Some of those commercials used to be stupid but then there's a few hidden gems when it comes to those pay-per-view commercials. and I used to like how WWF would kind of tell a story with some of those commercials that centered around the pay-per-view, um, and with SummerSlam, the summer theme. It's a hot summer day. The chick's outside in front of the gas station, sweating her ass off, while the other two guys are watching WWF on the little TV with the rabbit, the bunny rabbit antenna ears. And then you know the big daddy, cool, the WWF champion shows up in his Hummer to 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 to, to bring her to SummerSlam. Yeah, it was a it was a cool little setup. I I dug it. You know i dug it then and i dug it now i've got no issues with it so what <laughs> really don't care um really don't care if anyone likes it or dislikes it it was just you know um I, I guess because i grew up during that era that maybe that's why i like it but um yeah it was what it was um then we come back and todd pattengill is polling the audience about double j's performance um and I don't know if these were plants, if this was something that was done prior to them filming this, but the audience seemed to enjoy his performance. Um, a lot of positive reviews, which I think further adds to the story of, you know, Double J and his musical performance um, in his debut, um, especially, at, you know, in a city like Nashville. So I thought that was a nice little touch, a nice little common theme to to you know that's woven through this pay-per-view among the other um story that they're talking about with the main event um next match here we get henry godwin going one-on-one with bam bam bigelow um we get some clips from this rivalry between the two as we see henry slopping adam bomb um having a physical altercation with Bam Bam on an episode of Raw Um, here's something I noticed about this Bam Bam Bigelow came out to Lawrence Taylor's entrance music from Wrestlemania 11 which I thought was fascinating uh, given the fact that Bam Bam Bigelow had wrestled Lawrence Taylor in the main event of Wrestlemania 11 just a few months prior so that was kind of uh, that was kind of uh, I wouldn't yeah it was was fascinating I'll say that Um, anyhow um Lawler on commentary predicts that if Henry Godwin could beat Bam Bam Bigelow, that he's got a guaranteed spot in the Million Dollar Corporation. Now, as a kid, I don't remember Godwin and DiBiasi um, having any kind of on-screen association leading to the possibility of them being a pairing. You know, I, I, I couldn't picture DiBiasi, you know, managing a hog farmer. You know, a guy who, you know, picks up slop for a living and feeds pigs. Like, I just, I I couldn't picture that. So, um, I don't know if this was Lawler kind of going rogue here and trying to create something. Or if this was something that they thought about, but then they quickly put that one to bed. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe some of you out there might remember yourself. Um, But anyhow, um, this was an okay match. Bigelow is a very good big man underrated athletic could move very well for a guy his size and godwin i think is very physical um he's got a physically brute style a um, lot of clubbing forearms and slams and um i think henry godwin his in ring ability um underrated in terms of uh for, for a guy his size and with his style i just i, I for some reason i I've, i picture henry godwin and you know, he in later incarnations he would become uh, part of Jeff Jarrett's little Southern Justice group in in the WWE Attitude era. But with Godwin, I, I I almost picture him like I don't know. I guess like I could picture him like in in matches with like Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. You know, like him and him and uh, Phineas as the Godwins. You know. Um, in those type of like brawler hardcore type matches I know that like eventually with him and Phineas When they would become a tag team they would turn heel And they would have some matches with the Legion of Doom And some of those were some pretty solid You know rough house type matches um, I don't know maybe I just kind of thought That there would be more for him But nonetheless um, This was a physical match uh, it Wasn't anything special I will say that um, Godwin would slam Bigelow To the floor uh, which Which the way vince sold it you would have thought that bigelow couldn't get off his feet and this was the first time he was being slammed but the audience didn't really seem to uh at least in the arena didn't seem to uh to 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 react to it um and then uh the action would spill back into the ring where bigelow would go to the top for a diving headbutt and miss goblin would then try for a second rope leg drop on Bigelow and miss, and then Bigelow would just roll him up for the win at 5 minutes and 33 seconds. Um, like I said, not the best match, not a great match, but not a terrible match. Finish was anticlimactic. Another match that maybe was rushed, but if they went another couple of minutes, uh, maybe it would have been in danger of going too long. I don't know. Um, then we get a shot of Bob Backlund who is walking through the audience, talking to fans. And they were on commentary. Vincent and, and uh, the King were talking about Backlund's campaign to be the president of the United States of America. Um, and so that was uh, that, that was a, that was an interesting touch to this show. Um, Backlund, who was wrestling at the time, um, he was just kind of doing these you know little appearances here and there, um, coming through the crowd and talking to fans i believe if i'm not mistaken i it was 94 it was 95 an election year or was it 96 i don't remember when but they they started this whole bob Macklin's gonna run for president campaign and it really didn't go anywhere to be honest with you there wasn't really much of a payoff but this was part of that process that from what i remember um and i didn't really have any have any uh have any skin in the game, either way, when it came to this storyline between Bob Backlund and his presidential candidacy. Um, yeah, and then we go back to Todd Pettengill, who was with Shawn Michaels discussing um, his upcoming championship match with uh, Double J Jeff Jarrett. And at one point, M- Michaels got so excited he stumbled over his words and he called Jarrett the Double JF champion. <laughs> And uh, Pettingill and, and and Michaels uh, caught that and kind of joked about it. But you know, Sean made the slip up work. Um, he got back right on his feet and uh, finished the promo. And I thought it was I thought it was a little fun interaction. But uh, you know, not you can't you you can't hit a home run every time when you're on the mic. Um, even though most fans expect you to you can't but sean made it work here i thought it was a a nice little pickup and then it leads us to our intercontinental championship match between sean michaels and double j jeff jarrett for the world wrestling federation intercontinental title um the roadie would introduce double j jeff jarrett and jarrett would come out and he had the the cowboy hat that was lit up and the jacket and the pants and the led lights and all that stuff um michaels comes out he gets a huge pop Nashville crowd All over him Um He was playing to them Early on Especially the female fans Um Overall This was a very fun Fast paced match Back and forth From both guys Um double j at points you know was really eating it up with the heat with the crowd um he would he would run out of the ring away from michaels and then when the the referee would count he would get to nine he'd roll in break the count go back out um really toying with the crowd i thought that was some good stuff um Michaels whenever he would be in trouble Did a great job selling of his beating Um putting more heat on Jarrett uh Rhodey got involved Periodically from time to time to help Double J Add more heat to the, the, the Build up um and to the finish The crowd was all over the heels Really good stuff um You know Michaels being the baby face Without smart the two at times Uh at one point he jumped off the Top rope out to the floor and did a, a Flying cross by to both Jarrett and The Rhodey um but then you know, Double J would slow down Michaels, take the advantage, um, and uh, you know, try to try to curtail Michaels' um, high-flying arsenal uh, with a series of uh, rest holds. But Jarrett also kept his held his own in the, in the in the high-flying department too. You know, several drop kicks, crossbodies off the top rope. Um, you know, he was he kept up with Michaels. This was a re- this was a really good match. And so far, I'd say this was the match of the night. Um, we get a ref bump uh, during this match towards the end when Jarrett goes for the figure four, but Michaels blocks it and then pushes Jarrett into the ref. Um, then Michaels would go for sweet chin music, but Michaels would get chop blocked by Rody from behind. Jarrett then would hit a flying body press, only to get a two count. Um, and then the finish comes when Jarrett sends Michaels into the ropes, but Michaels reverses him, and the Roadie hooks Double J's ankle, thinking it was Michaels. Um, Michaels takes advantage when Roadie, when Jarrett turns around um, after trying to figure out why Roadie pulled his ankle. Sweet chin music. One, two, three. Your winner, new Intercontinental Champion, at 20 minutes and one second. Double J Jeff Jarrett. Or I'm sorry, Shawn Michaels defeating Double J Jeff Jarrett. Um, match of the night right here i'll go on and say it match of the night really good stuff it's the first time i've ever watched this whole show but it's not the first time i've watched this match and i forgot how good this match was um and they just kind of threw these two together with a little mini feud um for a few weeks prior to then set up an intercontinental title match and um it worked the crowd loved it great match top to bottom um If it went a few minutes longer, I would have been fine with that too. But it it, it had a good amount of time um, for them to tell a really good story. I thought it was – I thought it was – a really fun match excellent um then we see we go back to the locker room and barry didinsky is there to plug more merchandise in diesel's locker room with all the lumberjacks as they're waiting to celebrate with michaels michaels comes in he high fives diesel, diesel he high fives razor they you know do the click sign um michaels cuts a promo talking about the win and then they plug the t-shirt you can get the Shawn Michaels shirt at 1-800-titan-91 or something like that um Really, really pushing the merch hard on this show, for sure. Um, and then we cut back to Jerry, the King Lawler and Vince McMahon at the announce table and their reaction to the last match. But then they send it to Doc Hendricks, who is frantically explaining to us that he had just witnessed a altercation between Double J and the roadie in front of their dressing room door, an argument that eventually led to a physical altercation. Um, the, the one thing I find funny about this was not only just... Michael Hayes' reaction As he's trying to explain this And he's almost out of breath But Then he says They won't let me in the dressing room But then you see the door is open a crack And then when Hayes goes to knock on the door Like very aggressively He can see that the door is open a crack So he kind of stops himself in mid-knock And like does like a Like a half-ass Like open hand Like smack on the door And then they cut back to the um, the, the the announcers um, <laughs> Or the next match Um about this angle in particular. Um, like I said, they'd been building up throughout the night with Jarrett not really paying attention to Rody had the musical performance. He loses the Intercontinental title um, and the issues between him and the Roadie here. Uh, it sounds like they were leading towards a jarrett Rody rivalry, but both guys walked out on the company after the show. Um, so it was almost kind of fitting that... Um, the way that the last scene we saw was Doc Hendricks outside of Jarrett and Rody's locker room, going over the fact that the two of them just kind of had a blow up and they're no longer associated with each other. And I get it was I guess it was a, a a very apropos way to to write them off. Um, from what I remember hearing on. Um, a number of shoot interviews and podcasts uh, they both walked out of the company over a number of various issues which included money and booking and etc um as, as jim ross would say you know two c's kind of cash and creative so uh i guess that was the the, the reasons why jerry and uh roadie ended up leaving the wwf in 1995. Um, our next match here is for the world wrestling federation tag team titles. we see Yoko Zuna and Owen Hart, the champions take on the allied powers of Lex Luger and the British bulldog, Davy boy Smith. Um, we saw the allied powers get the upper hand early on to start the match, which led to some miscommunication between Yoko and Owen. Um, Yoko would fall down and his knee would land on Owen's foot. And, um, there would be some dissension between the two, um, just briefly, um, didn't really capitalize on that but it was just a brief little interaction between them I don't know if it was something that they were just trying to trying to see if it would work if they split these two up how would it how would it play out what kind of a reaction it would get but um, the crowd played up up for it uh, they were they, they were into it um, you know when Yoko and Owen kind of had a little stare down but the match would eventually get back on track with Owen and Yoko taking the advantage of um, We saw a lot of Owen and Davey in this match, doing the lion's share of the work, uh, as the both of them have good chemistry between the two of them. Um, Apparently there was some kind of technical glitch in the last match for the Intercontinental title that Vince had mentioned on commentary. And he said that they plan to deliver as much action as they can before 8.58 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it sounds like there was an issue with the timing of this show due to that glitch, uh, which we didn't see on the network, Um, But apparently there was some sort of issue With the pay-per-view feed I don't know how much of that Intercontinental title match people missed But um, it sounded like They were just rushing through These last two matches So that they could they could fit in everything they could before the pay-per-view feed cut out. Like I said, they were doing these in your house pay-per-views and they were, you know, 15 bucks a pop, but, um, they were only for like two hours. So they were like mini pay-per-views. It was, you know, um, it wasn't the full price you would get for like a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam or a Royal rumble. Um, and so, uh, it sounded like they were trying to, um, they're trying to fit everything in before the, 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 the time had allotted. Um, Back to the match, Yoko and Owen would eventually gain the upper hand, um, once again, working on Davy Boy. We saw a lot of Yoko's um, uh, shoulder squeeze, neck area, holding Davy down, wearing him down. A lot of isolating in their corner. Owen would make quick tags. They'd come back and forth. Um... Eventually, Owen would miss a Bronco Buster in the corner, uh, leaving both men down. As Davey would make the hot tag to Lex while Owen would tag Yoko. Luger coming in with his rights and lefts. A standard comeback from Lex Luger, clotheslines, shoulder blocks, uh, rights and lefts. Um, he would then press slam Owen, who had gotten back into the ring, onto Yoko Zuna, which got a nice pop. And then the baby faces would double team uh, Yoko Zuna, leading to all four men. Getting involved in the match Um We would see the allied powers Luger and and Bulldog Then simultaneously Side suplex Yokozuna Which got a big pop Um but the, as the as that took place the you know the referee grabbed Davey Boy cuz he's not the legal man Owen would jump off the top rope nail Luger with a top rope elbow Yoko would eventually capitalize giving Luger a leg drop for the win and still your World Wrestling Federation tag team champions Yokozuna and Owen Hart at 10 minutes and 54 seconds um it was an okay match could have gone a little longer but the pay-per-view feed issues I guess might have played a part in that I guess they probably felt rushed um I think the more time it got, if it gave, if you gave it about another three or four minutes, five minutes, I think it would have been able to have told told a better story. Um, I don't think we saw enough of Luger in the match, but maybe that was by design. I don't know. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, um, you know, that, that's what we got with that match. And then we see Shawn Michaels talking on the phone on the WWF Superstar line. They plugged the hotline as they do with every pay-per-view uh never was able to call those hotlines um especially during a pay-per-view my parents if they did let me order a pay-per-view i wouldn't dare even try to pick up the phone to talk to a wrestler um i don't know how those used to used to go um if it was like one big giant conference call and everyone would listen in um or if they individually had one person at a time talk to a wrestler i really don't know how those went i'm curious as maybe if you guys know um Hit us up on social media if you happen to have ever called one of those wrestling hotlines, especially live during a pay per view and talked to a wrestler. I'd love to hear some of those stories. Um, then we see the Lumberjacks, the heel Lumberjacks, entering the ring as a video package then airs um, of the events leading up to this match. First, with Sid turning on Shawn Michaels the night after WrestleMania 11 and Diesel making the save, which then led to the In Your House pay per view match with Sid and Diesel, with Sid injuring Diesel's elbow in that match. Tataka getting involved, Bam Bam Bigelow coming out to make the save. Um, they would also show footage of Diesel's surgery and rehab with Dr. James Andrews, who is a world-renowned arth- arthroscopic surgeon for professional athletes. Um, he's the best in the biz. Everyone goes to him from what from from what I've heard. Um, and wrestling really kind of helped put him on the map because a lot of wrestlers used to go to him. Um, and then you, you we'd get highlights of the King of the Ring tag match where Diesel would... Um, call out sid during the match and sid walked out leaving Tatanka stranded uh which then sets us up for this match here the lumberjack match the stipulation being that you know there's nowhere to run there's nowhere to hide um it's diesel and sid with lumberjack surrounding the ring for the wwf championship um we would get the babyface lumberjacks making their way out to the ring as we go back to Todd Pettengill, who interviews Diesel. Diesel talks about how he got to this point, jumping Shawn Michaels, running scared from him, and now that he's he's gonna finish he's gonna finish what Sid started once and for all on this show tonight. Um okay promo. I mean wasn't, you know. We, we we all knew what was going to happen you know I, I don't think that there was any more it was just like one last push to get you excited for the main event but um this too like everything else kind of felt rushed and i think that had a lot to do with the, the the pay-per-view feed and the timing of it all um and then we see uh you know the, the lumberjacks surrounding the ring um sid's lumberjacks would include Tatanka, Irwin Schyster, King Kong Bundy, The Heavenly Bodies of Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey and Dr. Tom Pritchard, The Supreme Fighting Machine comma The Blue Brothers, uh, who would be known as Ron and Don Harris, um, in, a, in, in a later life in professional wrestling. Sir Moe and King Mabel. Rad Radford, uh, the, the late Louis Spicoli. Skip, a.k.a. the late Chris Candido. Mantar. Oh, my God. Mantar was a part of this. Um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who is now known as PCO in Ring of Honor. Um, we would see Henry Godwin, uh, the Million Dollar man Ted DiBiase, and Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who had debuted with the company a few months before this. So uh, uh, those those are the Lumberjacks representing Sid. Representing Diesel, Lumberjacks include Razor Ramon, 123 Kids, Sabio Vega, Techno Team 2000 had a very, very short run in the WWF, consisted of Eric Watts and some other guy. I don't even know his fucking name. Eric Watts, the son of Cowboy Bill Watts. Smoking Guns Billy and Bart. Fatu, who was doing that whole, you know, um make a difference you know fought to the f- from the streets um yeah he was doing that whole whole uh gimmick there duke the dumpster Drosy, adam bomb bob spark plug holly bam bam bigelow and Shawn michaels who was too good to go out with the rest of the lumberjacks he came down to the ring with diesel um during his entrance <laughs> uh, i thought that was um i thought that was very telling of uh of the reputation that Shawn michaels um has gained over the years uh what he thinks of himself um i love sean but uh you know that, that i'm sure that that probably rubs some people the wrong way just a little bit you know or just sent a message that like you know sean needed to be in the spotlight and he was in diesel's spotlight because um, he couldn't associate himself with the rest of the lumberjacks but um maybe that's just me thinking too far ahead here anyhow um Sid and Diesel would uh, w- w- would go after each other pretty early. Um, saw a lot of the you know the standard psychology in a lumberjack match here with when the babyface competitor hits the floor on the side with the heel lumberjacks. The heel lumberjacks attacked him um, when the heel competitor gets thrown out to the babyface side of the lumberjacks they're the good guys they throw them back in the ring uh, so we saw a lot of that um, we saw some lumberjack getting mixing up on the outside during a period of time um, it was there was a, there was a couple of funny moments here from this match number one diesel would make a comeback after sid was uh was uh, putting a beating on him and he would deliver an unorthodox suicide plancha to the outside <laughs> onto the heel lumberjacks which resulted in another brawl with the babyface lumberjacks coming around to help him um And then as Diesel uh, makes his way back into the ring to try to finish off Sid, he would get dragged out to the floor by Mabel, who would ram him into the ring post uh, while Sid was distracting the referee during all this. Um, And then while all this was going on, the Lumberjacks were still continuing to brawl, um, but Diesel would get thrown back in the ring, Sid would continue to work on him. you know the really the only thing that was really noteworthy from this match was that the lumberjacks had gotten involved on a number of occasions it really wasn't anything special from sid and diesel uh didn't have the greatest chemistry those two um not the best matches either it really they just didn't you know um they didn't bring out the best in each other i'll, I'll say that and this was a perfect example of it here um here was a here was another thing that that, that caught my um that caught my attention. Um, after Sid powerbombed Diesel, Diesel kicked out at two. He went for another powerbomb, but Diesel countered into a back body drop. Then, when Sid got up, he randomly chose to jump off the ring apron out onto the floor of the babyface lumberjacks and fight all these guys. Now, if you're supposed to be the heel. Why would you throw yourself into the shark tank, so to speak? Um, not a very heel tactic, if you ask me. Um, I thought that was pretty random. And then, but I think what that did was, was that set up Shawn Michaels, who was on the top of the, the, the ring post. He does the plancha, the crossbody onto Sid and all the other guys. Um, they roll Sid back into the ring as Diesel then starts fighting off some of the other million dollar corporation members like Tatanka and IRS. Um, he would deliver a big boot, to Sid for the win at 10 minutes and six seconds. Um, not a great match. Not sure if the timing of the pay-per-view had anything to do with it. I think that there's a good chance it did. Um, the interaction with the Lumberjacks really was the best part. Uh, the finish just felt very anticlimactic. I was kind of hoping Diesel was going to powerbomb him. Um, but, you know, at, when they as they were going off the air, um, they had foreshadowed that, you know, Diesel survived, but you know, he's got Mabel in his sights after what Mabel did to him during that match Which eventually would set up their Summerslam showdown um, As we see all the baby faces celebrating in the ring, uh, we get that same country music video um, But with highlights of the in-ring action, that took place on the pay-per-view to close out this event um, while I was doing my research um for this event and, and looking into my notes um, there were two dark matches following this pay-per-view that saw Bret Hart defeat Jean-Pierre Lafitte and The Undertaker defeat Kama um, and I heard that some of these In Your House pay-per-views they would do this where they would only have like four, five, maybe six matches um, advertised for the the viewing audience at home that paid and then they would add like two or three post- pay-per-view dark matches onto this show um i kind of hoping that maybe wwe network releases some of these matches in their hidden gem section uh you know wink wink nudge nudge um this it'd be it'd be kind of interesting i dig some of that stuff that never before seen stuff um that, that really tickles my fancy if you will um so anyhow um my final thoughts on this match here this really was a one match show um michael's jared intercontinental title is really the only thing worth watching at this point um and you know to me like i feel like this was a good thing at the time that these shows were only 15 bucks a pop because that's even barely worth the price <laughs> of what we got here um it, when it comes to this date this 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 show was a great meal okay to a very exceptional exceptionally unfor or er, uh, very forgetful date so you know and i've been on a few of those as a single man uh, i've gone on some dates with some girls that are just like you know some girls I just didn't really hit it off with but my food was great okay the meal was good and as long as it was a good meal then i was cool with it it wasn't a total waste that's what this pay-per-view was here so uh <laughs> yeah um That's where I stand Uh, When it comes to In Your House 2 If you guys thought it different Then, uh, you know Let us know on social media Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at 2 Tell me what you thought of In Your House 2 If you've watched it before If you've never watched it before And you're listening to this recap Then, uh, you know See for yourself what you think Of WWF In Your House 2 uh, From July the 23rd, 1995 And that about does it this week Here on Kicking Out at 2 Next week we are going to be Uh bring you another day five fanny pack five random subjects that i couldn't dedicate each one to an individual show so i'll throw them in the fanny pack and we'll make the best of it um next week we'll be talking about well you know what i'm just gonna let you find out next week here on kicking out of two and i think it is officially about that time that we put this show down for the three count and we'll see you all next week